Well, let's pray, and then we're going to read. So pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can gather in this room and we can study together. And Father, this is a waste of our time unless you speak to us from your word. So please do that. Would your spirit uh, convict us, encourage us, challenge us uh, in ways that we each one need this morning? Uh, We're confident that you can and will do that, for we ask it in the name and for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, we are going to be reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be also. It's the word of God. Last week we uh, started looking at this chapter together. Uh, It's where Jesus is asked by a man to help him settle the family estate, the inheritance, and to do that fairly. Uh, It's the place where Jesus tells the the parable that we call the parable of the rich fool. Uh, We sort of concluded that Jesus' main point last week in those stories was that anything that you think you have to have like uh, that man wanting his fair share of the inheritance, anything that you think you need in order to live, to be happy, to do life, right? Well, that thing to you is a God, small g. It's an idol. And Scripture tells us, of course, that we are not to have any idols. Uh, We are to have only one God. And you know, you could summarize the New Testament as, as it's lifting up to us that one true God who is, of course, Jesus Christ. We said, too, that the way a Jesus follower demonstrates the genuineness of his or her faith, and we looked at the three cardinal virtues of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love. So we said that the way that a Jesus follower demonstrates the genuineness of their faith is by being like God being generous, being giving. Otherwise, our verbal expressions of faith and hope and love are at risk of just being nice religious sentiments, right? 
Now this week we continue in Luke chapter 12, and in this passage, uh, Jesus really couldn't be any more clear. He talks about a human problem that is frankly universal, and that is the, the insanity, the craziness of money and what it does to us. Uh, an example of that would be how money makes us, all of us, at times worry. Uh, there's not a person in this room that hasn't worried about money in some form or some fashion. Worried about making enough money. Worried about paying bills with the money you have. Worried about being able to retire and have enough money. Money has the ability to make us all kind of crazy. I noted last week that money is one of the chief problems that exist in marriages. Money has damaged and broken and split up many a friendship. And here in our passage this morning, I so appreciate how Jesus handles this. He says three things, and we're going to look at each of these. The first, he says, just kind of matter of fact, is that money can make you crazy. We'll talk about that. The second, he tells us uh, why money can do that. And we'll look at why it is that money does that to us. And then the third thing, he tells us how to break this cycle of insanity that we live and move in, that money causes, and he tells us that that is to be broken by becoming part of God's family, and we'll look more deeply at that. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples. There are all these others listening in to what he says. So even if you're not a Jesus follower and you're here this morning and you're just visiting, you're thinking, what possibly could this message have to do with me? I don't even know where I stand with Jesus. Well, you're like the crowd who's actually listening to Jesus give this teaching this morning. So this teaching is for you, just like it is for us, those of us who follow Jesus. Luke 12, 1 says, Meanwhile, when the crowd of many thousands had gathered just like here, uh, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So while he's talking to his disciples, he, he's asked this question by a man of some means, a man with an inheritance that is supposed to be coming to him. And to that man of some means, Jesus tells a parable about another rich man. It's the parable of the rich fool. And when Jesus finishes, finishes telling that parable in verse 22, uh, tells us that he turns and he speaks to uh, his disciples yet again. And remember, most of Jesus' disciples are not really rich people. Matthew perhaps was rich. He was, of course, a tax collector who had left that business to follow Jesus. So it, it's a pretty good guess that Matthew was certainly a person of means. The others probably more likely were somewhere between poor and, if you will, kind of a working-class middle, if you will. Uh, they probably worry mostly about making enough money or making ends meet or having, you know, to pay the exorbitant taxes to Rome. And then there were the, the taxes to the temple and so. And yet, instead of changing the subject from money to something else, because none of Jesus' disciples, save perhaps Matthew, had a lot of it, as if, you know, money doesn't matter to people who don't have much of it. Well, instead of changing the subject, Jesus goes on to say, I think, some of the hardest hitting things he has to say on the subject of money to his disciples. And here's why I think he does that. Jesus is making the point that no one is immune to the distortive power or the distortive effects of money. If you have a bunch of money, if you have very little money, if you don't have any money at all, doesn't matter. No one is actually free 
from the distortive power and effects of money. Money has an ability to blind you. It has an ability to corrupt you. It has an ability uh, to control you. Whether you've got a lot of it or whether you've got practically none at all. People with a lot of money worry about losing it. And usually they want more of it. You know the saying, you can never have too much money, right? People with little or no money worry about getting it. And all of this worry tends to make us crazy in the way we think and in the actions that we take. We let family relationships get broken over money. Happens all the time. We argue over money. We neglect important relationships over money. We lie, we cheat, we steal over money. The point is, it's not just those with money who do this. Just as often, it's those without. This is why Jesus says in verses 29 and 30, he says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. That phrase, pagan world, is not one we, we use today. We don't really use that word pagan all that often. That's the world that, that does not know the one true living God, right? That's the pagan world. That's the world that does life without knowing him, without him in the picture. Jesus says that world runs after eat and drink and all such things. The idea of running after here means gets absorbed by. That world is absorbed by providing for itself. It's preoccupied with it. It's always in pursuit of more of those things. So much so that life gets defined by this pursuit. And so people overwork. People cut corners. People make promises they can't keep. They sacrifice relationships in order to get more of this thing that will let you get what you want, this thing called money. That is, uh, to use Jesus' words in verse 29, that, that's when you have set your heart on it. That's what setting your heart on it looks like. When you do that, money has you in its grip. Last week, Jesus said life is more than possessions in verse 15. And here Jesus says in verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He's talking about even the necessities here, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we're not talking about fur coats, mansions, yachts, you know, fast cars. Jesus says, if you worry all the time, even about the necessities, the things that you need, well, guess what? Money is going to make you crazy. Money will control your life. Money will blind you to the truth about reality. The reality that JP was talking about earlier. The reality that there is a God and we live in his world. And he has said certain things to us about ourselves, about our identity, about our future, about our security. Money will make you a fool. That's the word that's used back in verse 20. We didn't read that part this morning. But that's what, that's what God says to the man who builds more barns, right? That person isn't living in the real world. That person is a fool. You see, the real world is the world where God exists, where God is in control, where God has a purpose and a plan for every one of his children, where God is your father. You see, instead, a fool lives in a world of his or her own making. In that world, they have got to look out for themselves. And when that happens, they become anxious. 
They get worried. And I would say for good reason. <laughs> you know, if, if you're on your own and you're going to provide for yourself, okay, there, there might be a real reason to be concerned there. And so Jesus' first point is that money can make you just mad. But he doesn't stop there. He actually tells us why, and this is really important. In verse 30, Jesus says, pagans run after money and all such things, all these things. But then Jesus says this, he says, but you have a father. I don't know if you noticed that, that language. Now, now of course, pagans have gods as as well, gods of all kinds. Jesus isn't for a second denying that. There are pagan gods who rule the sea, pagan gods who control things like fertility or who are in charge of the harvest, or there are pagan gods of war, there are pagan gods of all of the craft guilds have their own gods who they would pray to and ask to bless them in the production of whatever product they made and in the process of selling it. But Jesus' point is that there is no pagan god who is your father. There's no pagan God who relates to those who worship him in that way as a father. Jesus says, you worry about money because you forget that you have a father. You are looking to money to give you what only a father really can give you. And you are forgetting that the real God, the God of the Bible, if you have faith in him, that God is your father. And this father values you more than you know. More than you can even imagine. That's the point of Jesus' two illustrations, really. One about ravens or birds, the other about lilies. The birds, he says, they don't sow or reap. They have no barns, and yet God, our Father, feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds, he says in verse 24. Jesus, is uh, that's an exclamation, too, uh, in the Greek. It's a point of emphasis that Jesus is making. And then Jesus refers to the lilies. They don't labor or spend, he says. And yet, God, our Father, clothes them. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, oh, you of little faith? And that's part of the problem right there, isn't it? We just tend not to believe this or to trust this. This is a discussion, actually, too, about value. I hope you notice that. You see, if God takes care to clothe flowers whose value is very limited, how will he clothe you who are precious to him? You are his son, you are his daughter, you are his child. It's more than a coincidence here that Jesus brings up the matter of value when he talks about money. Part of the insanity of money is that people use it all the time to make themselves feel more valuable. In fact, pretty much everyone here, whether we admit it or not, operate at least to some degree on the premise that the more money I have, the more valuable I am, don't we? We have this insane notion that we can add value to ourselves by accumulating more stuff, in particular, more money. That kind of thinking, Jesus says, is insane. And when people are insecure about their value, which is kind of inclusive of all of us, we're all a little insecure about our value. Well, what people do then, they frequently look to things like money for their value. They worry about having enough. They worry about keeping what they have. They worry about making the right money impressions, if you will. Now, when you start to get some money, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but many people then start to kind of develop a little money attitude. 
You ever notice this? They start to feel better and bigger and smarter, more valuable, right? They expect special treatments. They want better seats. They deserve better service. They deserve to be noticed and respected. Why? Well, because they have more money, you see. And if you don't have money, the opposite is true. Many times people feel just the opposite. Man, I, I, I don't have any money. I don't have very much stuff. There must be something wrong with me. I'm not very important. I really don't matter. All of that, either side of the coin, all of that kind of thinking is insane. It's just insane. Whether you have it or whether you don't, because both of these ways of thinking are wrong and they are sinful. And what Jesus says is that life and your value in life is not bound up with your possessions. Life does not consist of food or drink, says Jesus. Well, what does life consist of? Well, he taught about it over and over and over. Uh, life is about growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And these things have very little to do with making money, but a lot to do with our character, with who we are as people. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are honest, if you are caring, if you are patient, if you are good, if you are kind, if you are trustworthy, yes, there are times when those very character qualities can help make you money. Would you rather, for example, have an honest, good, trustworthy mechanic or an honest, good, and trustworthy banker, or an honest, good, and trustworthy repairman? I, I'm sure you would. So would I. But there are just as many times also where those very qualities will lose you money. I have sat and listened to businessmen and women uh, tell me their stories where they made difficult moral decisions that cost them in the marketplace because they stuck to their principles, their morals, they tried to embody bigger values than they were being asked to embody. One gentleman some years ago shared with me, he was a vice president in his company. He was certainly uh, on their trajectory of uh, continued promotion. Uh, one problem was, however, the higher he was promoted, the more hours really they wanted from him. And he was a father of young children. And he had to make the decision early on to, to kind of put a stake in the ground and say, look, I, I'm not going to be here from dawn to dusk. I will get my job done and I will do it well. It's not going to require me to be here the moment the sun comes up until the sun sets. And he made that point. It was very, very, very risky for him to do that. But he stuck to his guns. Now, I've also listened to stories of people who were wildly successful at making money, and it ruined their marriage, and it compromised their integrity, and it devoured them spiritually because of the amount of time they were spending making money and being where money is made. They didn't have time to do the things that would help them grow spiritually. And that's what Jesus is talking about, looking to money for personal value, for importance, making money so that you feel like you matter. That, friends, is insane. But people do it all the time. You know, before we move on, I just need to note that there is another reason that we go after money the way we do. It's kind of a, a relative of this reason of value, and that has to do with security. 
Uh, we think we'll find security in money. As a Pulitzer Prize-winning sociologist, his name is Ernest Becker, he wrote a book some years ago called The Denial of Death. And in that book, he says that the reason people have so much trouble managing money, giving money away, using it for good, uh, he, he says this, and I quote, he says, we see our money as the way to insulate ourselves from all the broken and turbulent realities of life, end quote. In other words, money's our security, right? Money's what lets me be comfortable, and I want to be comfortable. Money makes me safe. Money is what lets me control my environment, right, and make my environment what I want it to be. And so, again, the insanity of money is that we look to it not only for value but also for security and safety. And we do this more than we'd like to admit, to be honest. Jesus says, don't look to money for what only your Father can give you. That's what he's saying in verse 30. Now, what exactly do fathers, or for that matter, families, give us? Well, healthy fathers and healthy families, they value their children. Am I right? Just for those of you who are visiting, we're little, we seem to be a little unclear on that here in this church. <laughs> yeah, we, healthy families, healthy fathers, healthy parents, yeah, they value their children. Are we clear on that? Yeah. In fact, they, they do everything they can to, perfect, to protect their kids from danger. Sometimes we do too much, but, you know, we do, we do what we can to protect our children from danger. We want to keep them secure and keep them safe. Now, in this fallen world, we do this very imperfectly, very imperfectly. But even so, I would note that these things are, they're only found, you understand, in the midst of family relationships, Ironically, money would have us believe that value and safety and security can be had without the messiness, because that's what family relationships always are, without the messiness of family relationships. But I don't think they can be found. Uh, interesting to me, when the prodigal son tires of the messiness of his family, he gets tired of doing life with his dad, he gets tired of doing life with his elder brother, right? Uh, and he says, you know what, I am out of here. Give me my inheritance, and I am leaving. I will go enjoy life on my own. I will make my own calls. I, I will determine my future myself. So give me my inheritance. That will be my value. That will be my security. And I would just say that money had seduced this young and foolish man into believing he didn't need God. He didn't need his father. He didn't need his brother. He didn't need family. He just needed, he just wanted his inheritance. Now, when he later comes to his senses, because all of that money and all that security, right, all that value is gone, and that all changes. Now it's back to his father, who, as you know that story, that welcomes him back with open arms because he values his son. But I'll tell you what, money tempts us to be crazy in the things that we think and in the things that we do, just like that young man in the story of the prodigal son. If you try to get your value and your security for money, you will become eventually a very anxious person. Truth be told, your money can be gone in an instant. Is anybody unclear about that? And truth be told, you were made for something else other than money. You and I, we were made for relationships, first with our Heavenly Father. 
And, and that, of course, includes having relationships in his family. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But we were also made for relationships. First, and, and primarily so, family relationships. This is why God created the institution of family. Family love is meant to be a reflection of our Heavenly Father's love. Family love is the only love that will give you a deep sense of value and security. Why? Well, what is a family love? Well, family love is love that really never deserts you. It's always there. Family love is absolutely unconditional or mostly unconditional, right? It's love that will always be there no matter what you've done or where you've gone. That's family love. It's, it's consistent. It's unconditional. It's not performance-based. It's a reflection of the heavenly Father's love for His children. Now, it's a very imperfect reflection. I'll tell you what, money can never do that for you. Money has no love for anyone, let alone unconditional love. Again, money can leave you in an instant. Money will promise you all kinds of things and never, ever deliver. Putting your hope in money will make you anxious. It will drive you crazy. So Jesus says, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. That's why money drives us crazy. You see, we run after it thinking it will give us value. It will give us security when, in fact, reality is only our Father can do that for us. Only our Father. And so, a last point. This, this helps us kind of break the power of money in our lives. Jesus' thoughts here are profoundly simple, but I think also profoundly important for us as we think about this subject. Sort of a twofold thrust here. Jesus first says this, he says, and, and this is a tough one for us, it's tough for us to get this, but this is what he says. He says to us, you are not God. And that, friends, is profound because the sin in us wants exactly to be that, to be God. And the power of money or the insanity that it creates plays on this very factor in our thinking. Deep down, getting enough money, we, we think, will make us like God. Getting uh, enough money will, will let us be our own master. We, we can then create our own security and create our own value. But if you are getting your value and your security for money, you've got to hold on to it, don't you? You've always got to have more of it or enough of it, don't you? And that takes quite a bit of work. Making sure everything lines up so that your money is protected and so that you always have enough of it. Sometimes people with money worry, what if investments go bad? What if tax laws change? What if taxes go up? What if the market were to crash? What if real estate uh, prices plunge? What if? And worry like this is a real problem if you're trusting in your money. That's why Jesus says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, and he calls that a little thing, adding time to your life. Uh, he says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is saying, you are not God. You can't even add a single hour to 
your life, let alone control all of the events, all of the circumstances to guarantee that you will always have enough money. So Jesus says, stop worrying about the things you can't control. Well, what should you do? Well, that's simple enough. It's probably a long list of things you should do. A few of them would be work hard, do your work well as if it were to glorify Jesus himself, work honestly. There's all kinds of things you should do, but ultimately worrying about holding on to what you have or always getting more, or getting what is yours, right? Getting your fair share of the inheritance. Worrying like that, Jesus says, is foolish. Because you don't ultimately control such things. You and I, we're not God. And thinking you are in control of such things is only an illusion. Let's talk about illusions for a moment. The more money a person has, usually the more they live under the illusion that they are in control. You think that's true? Jesus is saying, not so. That's partly the point of the rich man and his building bigger barns that we looked at, you know, last week. He was sure that was a good long-term strategy for his future. Build bigger barns so he could hold more stuff. Problem was, he was just dead wrong. Dead wrong. He didn't know when he was going to die. He was not God. And you may have accumulated some money, and that may give you the illusion that you are important or that you are in control or that you are secure. Friends, that is an illusion if you are looking to money. Truth is, if you have money, there are a multitude of reasons why, most of which are largely out of your control and unknown to you. Being in the right place at the right time, that's usually pretty important when it comes to getting money and making money. How clever you were to be at the right place at the right time, talking to the right people, talking to the right lenders, discovering the right products that you would be able to sell. Now, sure, I'm I'm not wanting to downplay the importance of hard work and doing work well. Those things matter. But know this. It's not even primarily your hard work that has brought you success if you've experienced success. Success is a complicated combination of forces that you or I do not understand or know a whole lot about. I'm not going to be doing any big conferences uh, anytime soon about how to succeed in the business world, am I? (laughs) Let me repeat that phrase. I I think it's fair and I think it's true. Success is a complicated combination of forces that you or I do not understand and know very little about. But people with lots of money, you know what they think? They think, look what I did. Look what I control. Look what I built. Look at how clever I am. I am special. Look at my money. But I would ask, (laughs) when are you going to die? Do you know? That was the problem for the man that built bigger barns. I would ask, can you add a single hour to your life? Can you make what you have last? Can you guarantee that that will happen? The short answer, of course, is no. You see, Jesus is saying, you don't have that kind of power. Money has blinded you and tends to blind us all to that fact. Money often 
blinds us to the fact that God is the one who made us. And God is the giver of every single good gift. And God is the one who gives me value, gives me security. You know, the psalmist very wisely noted this. I find this interesting, Psalm 49. Psalm 49 says, do not be overawed when a man grows rich. And it's talking about a man who doesn't know God here. That's, what, that's specifically what the psalmist talking about. The man who grows rich but who doesn't know God. He's saying, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed, and men praise you when you prosper, he will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. You see, these individuals perish. They don't actually know God. A man who has riches without understanding, that is knowing who God is, knowing who gave him the riches, a man like that is like the beasts that perish. Another observation from the writer of Proverbs says, rich and poor have this in common, The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, some poor people just work themselves practically to death and they never get rich. Why? Well, that's a complicated issue, isn't it? Just like getting rich is a complicated issue. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Money wants us to think, I earned it. I am clever. I am in control. I am in charge. I can be my own master. When in reality, if I think that way, honestly, I'm being a fool. I'm acting like this money is mine. If I'm acting that way too, money is controlling me. I am its master. Jesus says in verse 30, For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. You see that? Your father knows. Your father is omniscient. You and I, we are not. So the first thing we need to know is that we are not God, but there is a father who knows. The second thing we need to know is that we, be, we can become a child of this father that Jesus is talking about. This was one of the very strange things about Jesus. This is one of the things that made him a different kind of rabbi than every other rabbi. Because he would talk about God in a different way. In a way that was familiar, unlike so many of the other rabbis. He had this fatherly son connection with God. And this is simply amazing, friends. Jesus would invite others into that family, God's family. You and me, we can become a child of the Heavenly Father. Deeply flawed husbands and wives. Deeply flawed fathers and mothers. Deeply, deeply flawed pastors, electricians, brokers, businessmen and women. Deeply flawed makers of money. We can become children of God. Nobody has known the Father's love better than Jesus. Nobody has known the Father's security better than Jesus. And that's why every time Jesus addresses God in personal prayer or in conversation, what does he call him? He calls him Abba, Daddy. There was an intimacy level there that set Jesus apart from from other teachers. 
He had a deeper appreciation and understanding. His identity came out of knowing his heavenly father. Now, every time he would address his heavenly father, it would be Abba, except one time. And that was on the cross. When Jesus addressed God in quite a formal fashion. Do you remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you see, it was at that moment in time, Jesus lost the welcoming love of the Father so that we could get it. He lost the supreme blessing, the love of his heavenly Father, so that we could get it. Jesus endured the wrath of God, the separation of God, so that we could know the Father's love, so that we could be adopted into God's family. The Apostle John says this in John 1. Uh, he, he says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, not everyone is a child of God. Only to those who receive them. Only to those who believe in him. This is the doctrine of adoption. You know, J.I. Packer wrote a book so many years ago, um, called Knowing God, and, and in it he calls this doctrine of adoption, it's the highest privilege, he says. It's the greatest blessing that we know in the gospel. Even more than justification by faith, which, as you know, is the cornerstone doctrine. But, but justification is about a judicial action that takes place. Adoption is adoption. It's about intimacy of relationship, being brought into personal familial relationship with almighty God. We can become sons and daughters of God. This is the premise behind Jesus' commands not to worry in verse 28 and in verse 30 and in verse 32. His premise is that we worry because we forget that we have a heavenly father, a perfect father who values us and loves us, who will always, always care for us who will never, ever leave us or forsake us, who will always provide for us, sometimes a plenty, sometimes even in want. He will provide for us. For some of us, it's difficult to imagine a father who loves us and cares for us like that because we didn't have the greatest earthly father. Well, guess what? God knows that. In fact, you know what God calls all earthly fathers? Sorry, dads. He calls us evil. Now, moms, you're included in this. This is one of those all-inclusive, you know, statements. But, but he's just speaking the truth about parents. This is what he says in Luke 11. Which of you fathers slash mothers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Nobody, no, no father uh, or mother would do that. Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven... Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He will give anything and everything that's needed to his child to provide for, to guide, to lead, to care for, and see them safely all the way into heaven, into eternity. The Bible teaches that human parents are just training wheels. They're not the real thing. They're not the best thing. They're not the ultimate thing. King David knew this in Psalm 27. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Earthly fathers and mothers are imperfect. They let us down. They parent inconsistently. They 
Sometimes parent very badly. Ultimately, they forsake us. They die. And you can be bitter and you can be angry about that and hurt through that. You can be frustrated that they didn't give you the parenting you wanted or even needed. They didn't love you well. But just know they couldn't. They brought all of their stuff, all the stuff they experienced as they were growing up. They brought that into their parenting and maybe they got some of it fixed or maybe they didn't. And They didn't have a chance at parenting you perfectly. But your heavenly father can. And he does love you with a perfect love. And he knows exactly what you need always before you need it. Always. There's something else Jesus wants us to know. And that is that when, uh, when we become a child of God by putting our faith in Jesus. When we do that, we then also become something he calls an heir. We become an heir Verse 32, Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for our Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And you know what that means? That means we don't have to look to money or anything else to be rich or to be valuable or to be important or to be special or to be safe or to be secure because we will inherit all the goodness of the kingdom. It's in Jesus. We will inherit all the righteousness of the kingdom. It's all in Jesus. We will inherit justice, mercy, greatness, joy, peace, love, glory that's in the kingdom because it's all given to us in Jesus. And Jesus says, so, you know, don't be afraid. Don't worry about anything. Don't obsess over money. Understand, you've been given the kingdom. Don't you see that changes really everything? Absolutely everything. I mean, I can be different now. Knowing my heavenly father, I don't, I don't need to pretend that I'm in control because I know I'm not. I don't have to look for my value in my stuff I don't have to try and protect myself. I am safe and secure because of my heavenly Father. I now have a glorious freedom from things like the insanity of money. My treasure is my heavenly Father. My treasure is my sacrificial Savior. My treasure is my comforter. He's called the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at in verses 32 and 34. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. You see, you're free to act the way your heavenly father acts. You are free to sacrifice for others, to love others, even when it costs you. You are free to care about people and their needs. Invest in things that last, kingdom things, heavenly things. He goes on to say, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants us to know that money can make you crazy. Jesus wants us to know that we are not God. And Jesus wants us to know that we can be children of God, God Almighty. 
And when we know those things, if we know those things, I hope you see that that can, that should change everything. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just confess to you, we're uh, caught up in a culture, we're a part of a culture that just worships stuff and money and finding our security and that kind of stuff. And so these, these teachings of Jesus are troubling to us. They are challenging to us. They call us out of those places where we put our security when our security is not in you. God, forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting that even as we have faith in you, we forget that you are our Father. Help us live in that place, that reality, God, because that's the real world. And free us up from the insanity and the madness of money. For we ask it in Jesus' name.